Have you ever been faced with something that seems so insurmountable that all you want to do is crawl under your covers and watch reruns of The Office all day long? Ever since we got married, Seth had talked about taking a big trip around the country. And the idealistic part of me was all like, totally. The adventure of the open road, the endless possibilities, all the different people we'd meet along the way. But I always kind of figured that nothing would really come of it. I mean, we were just talking. That's what people do, right? They plan on doing big things, but then real life hits and money's tied and work is crazy. And maybe like next year or something, you know, when things are a little calmer. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. In general, things are most likely never going to calm down. So you never end up going, which I had resigned myself to, except that Seth wanted to travel. And he's the kind of person where if he really wants to do something, by Jove, it gets done. In 2011, things started happening. We moved out of our house and into my parents' basement, pared down our things to almost nothing, and traded my Honda Civic for a Subaru Outback. It was early spring, and the plan was to see as much of the country as possible before the next winter hit. We'd stay with friends and family along the way, but between places, we could always sleep in the back of our car. Everything was going swimmingly. We were poised for the great Schaefer adventure of 2011. This would be the dream vacation. The kind of adventure so many people long to embark upon. Except that I was not okay. You see, I have this little issue called panic disorder. It usually hits me during times of unfamiliarity, when I don't feel safe. And unsafe for me generally means being in a situation that I don't know the outcome. Traveling, especially the kind of traveling that Seth wanted to do, is fraught with unknowns. Therein lies the excitement for Seth and the panic for me. Now, I know this might shock the people who know me because prior to this trip, Seth and I traveled all the time. But they were always short stays and I always knew exactly what was going to happen and exactly where we were going to stay. This trip was different. We literally had no idea what we were going to do or where exactly we were going to stay or in what time frame. At best, we had a loose plan of what direction we were heading. Let's go that way. When I told Seth about the fact that thinking about leaving made me so anxious I wanted to throw up, he tried to offer a compromise. We could travel for a week and see how that felt. Then we could go out for slightly longer periods of time. But just thinking about how much my anxiety was holding me back, I started to get a little pissed. Pissed that my anxiety was keeping me from doing something I actually wanted to do. So I shook my head and said that we were traveling and I was just going to have to let go of the control I felt I needed. Armed with Prozac and Xanax, we packed the Subaru and left. I had to talk myself through that entire first week, reminding myself to let go and let the universe take the reins, to lay down my expectations of what the trip should look like, and be open to the possibilities of whatever it could become, to take a day at a time, piece by piece, brick by brick. This week, I interviewed our friend and all-around artist, Colin Purser, who takes that exact same approach to art. He breaks tasks down into easily accomplishable parts, and before he knows it, he's created a harp or a kayak or a pair of shoes. I met Cullen through my husband, Seth, who is a filmmaker. 
Colin wanted to learn filmmaking, so we just called Seth up one day, and Seth said, yeah, come on a couple shoots with me. From what I knew, he was a sort of jack-of-all-trades. He made his own shoes, as I mentioned, tanned cowhide, he's a master woodworker, etc. But I had no idea that Colin is literally a jack-of-almost-all-trades. The man's done everything. He's on city council, he's done bookbinding, he's a musician, a writer, a scholar. He's made instruments, clothing, backpacks, weapons, and the list goes on and on. If it involves working with your hands, Colin's most likely done it at some point in his life. I met with him at his shop in Fruta, a little town almost on the western border of Colorado. His shop is full of things associated with creating. This is cool. A roll of cowhide that Colin had tanned himself, a sewing machine, a video camera, his own pen and ink drawings of tools and how they're used, a trombone. Chairs can be squeaky. No, that's good. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think that with a resume like his, he'd have reason to be cocky. But when I met him, I met a humble man who lives and breathes art and who is focused and intentional about his approach to both life and art. The process of creating is the exact same process of trying to define yourself as an individual in the world. And so that's why I value the process of making things. And that's why I would encourage people to make things, everybody, because you don't know the end result of the goal you have in mind. And in your life, you don't know the end result of the goal of the life you want to live. And you have a choice to walk towards it anyway or to give in to fear and just assume that it's not possible. When you break through that and you continue to walk towards the completion of an object or the fulfillment of a goal in your life, you discover that, of course, you're going to fail, and you keep going anyway. And it just keeps on morphing into the thing you didn't even know you were going to do. You were going to make a backpack, and it turned into a way of living. And you can see this theme play out in his life. He isn't afraid to learn something new because he's intentionally avoided planning the end of his story. He's leaving it open for whatever might happen. And as a result, he's a repository of knowledge on a vast array of art forms. The thing that was always my thing was everything. I have had an insatiable thirst to know how to do everything. And that's what I wanted to be good at, was the ability to perceive the central theme in creating anything. That's what I've been exploring, is just what are the core concepts of starting with nothing and ending up with something as pertains to metal or wood or paper or words. The core thread of all of that has been what I've been seeking. But starting with nothing and ending up with something requires faith in oneself. And faith requires pushing through the fear of failure. How do you push through uh, that fear of failure? The way you do it is that you did it before. And you did it with something small. Cullen told me a story about how his mom gave him a book about origami when he was eight. One Sunday, he's sitting in church, and he just starts folding up the church bulletin. And I had this goal of making a bird, and I couldn't quite get the fold right. And then it turned into some other fold I'd never known before. And now I know that other thing. And I didn't know what the possibilities were. But because I failed making the bird, it became a flower. I know how to do that. And I'm saying that's a small little accident that you did when you were eight. 
and when you were 12, and you had a, and a slightly bigger failure, because when you were eight, you did that weird little fold, you have a way of responding to that failure. Big things are built on small things. I often talk about bricks and building a brick wall. The modern world builds this huge concrete slab and lifts it up and it becomes a wall. And if anything goes wrong, and something always goes wrong, and a wall falls, it's destroyed. The whole effort is destroyed. But another way of building is with bricks, with small pieces. Somebody comes along and knocks a brick off, and you're like, that's fine, I got another brick. They didn't destroy the whole wall, they just took a little effort. So I really believe that in life. I really believe that in making. I believe that because a brick is a tangible small piece. Like, the whole wall is too much to understand. Like, making a guitar, it's so scary. There's so many parts and pieces and, and unanswered aspects to making a guitar. But taking a, a piece of wood and shaping it into a neck, so just stop there, just think about the neck and make a neck. Oh, it didn't work. Is the whole guitar ruined? No, the, the effort of the neck failed. Make another neck. There is never relief from that discomfort of fear. Of failure. The minute you succeed in one aspect of what you're doing is the minute you're now afraid of the next aspect. So how do I push through that fear? I don't just do it right now out of just knowing. I do it from many, many other experiences. And that's the awesomeness of getting older. <laughs> you learn how many things you don't have to let defeat you. And so how does a younger person take that information? Like really young? Fail early, fail often. It's just huge. With all the art skills he's learned, I was really curious about something, and I just had to ask him. How do you make your living? I have tried to keep it connected to making stuff, and the difficulty is when you connect that to the economy. How can I make a living doing everything? And the progression of civilization has been, you must know one thing or die. <laughs> and, and that's not been an acceptable way of living for me. Mostly I made my living being a handyman. I tricked myself into enjoying it mostly because as a handyman you get invited into people's homes and I am a maker of things but I'm really a student of how people relate to each other and how people function and this was a great opportunity to see the truth of people. When they're out in the world they put on masks and they are not real in their home, it's harder to do that. I was able to, for quite a while, to trick myself into loving swapping toilets out because it too is the creative process. It's solving problems that don't have answers. So here's this highly skilled artist who's transforming swapping toilets into a creative process. Which begs the question, how many of the people around us, people we take for granted, are actually brilliantly-minded philosophers buried under the labels of post office worker or garbage collector or handyman. By day, Cullen's a handyman, but by night, he's connecting people and helping to create and foster community within his community. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming out to the Cavalcade Variety Show. If this is your first time, welcome. And the bathrooms are down there. He's one of the founders of The Cavalcade, an uh, art collective that provides a safe right place for artists to practice, perform, and explore their art forms. Welcome, Spencer, to the stage, everybody. 
The creation of a community space where different sorts of people come together. It's a making of a, a situation where people form relationships they wouldn't have otherwise. And we were talking specifically about Cavalcade, and you asked, how is it doing? And my answer is always great, and always on the verge of death. And when we say that, I mean, is it paying the bills? That's really what everybody wants to know. And so my answer is, it could die at any minute. That is a good thing. It's a good thing that what you're creating stays in a place of potential death. And the reason for that is the things that are created are most tangible and real and responded to by humans if they are in that state of vulnerability. And what we want to do with our life, with our societies, with the things that we create is we want desperately to make everything safe and build walls around the beautiful things that we make and preserve and protect them. When we do that, when we build those walls, we have separated ourselves from the passion, the realness, the thing that is beautiful about the thing that was made. And then we can't connect with it. And so to leave a thing that you have made, either the creation of an opportunity for people to come together and meet, or a glass sculpture, or whatever, to leave it in the state of vulnerability and risk its death is how you give more people the opportunity to feel the magic and the beauty of that thing. The danger is it could go away at any minute. I live in that space in life where everything could fail because I know that's where the magic is and it's scary and it's hard and it's a tension. It's, a, it's in the middle of two forces pulling me apart but it's the place to be. It's where the most incredible stuff happens that humans have ever done, is when they are in that place of vulnerability. And it's too scary for humanity, and humanity has worked to rid itself of that discomfort by creating layers and layers and layers between the human and the end result. And the negative effect of that is a life of mediocrity for most, and people just knowing there's more, but they don't have a clue how to get it. And I say the way to get it is to expose yourself and to risk all of it. What would be a first step for someone? There's no time like right now to start where you always should have, and that is the little things. If you're in church, <laughs> take the bulletin <laughs> and start folding it explore the unknown in a very small way. And I would say to anybody, no matter your nature, make something because you're going to have to face that fear. You're going to have to face the fear that you know you don't have a skill to end up where you imagine you'd like something to turn out to be. You know you don't know how to make a guitar and you have that decision. <laughs> Do I try anyway even though I don't know how to? And what it's really coming down to is, do you believe in yourself? And do you believe in something bigger? Or do you not? Making anything is a matter of faith. Making anything, and you push through all of those things, I guarantee you, you are strengthening a muscle, an internal muscle, which does get stronger with use, that enables you to do bigger projects. And that the biggest project of all is making your own life. 
And you've got to practice and strengthen this muscle, which when it meets, comes up against difficulties, says, I will not let this difficulty keep me from going forward. He stares into the nighttime sky And looks for shapes of meaning He sees the things that are not there And writes them in the wood She chips and carves away the meaning Finds a thing that is She puts it in a purple bottle And ships it out to sea Ooh. So I started small, brick by brick sometimes hour by hour, I walked through each day of our trip. And the more I pressed into the discomfort, the easier it got. And when I look back on it now, the most alive I've ever felt was when Seth and I pulled out onto that open road with almost no plan for where we would go or where we would stay. The places we visited, the things we learned, the people we met and formed deep relationships with, none of that would have happened if I would have allowed fear to dictate my life. I pushed through, and because I did it then, I'm so much more confident in myself now. Is there something you want to do but are paralyzed by fear of failure? Like Cullen said, there's no better time like right now to start where you always should have. And it doesn't have to be some huge project. Why not start small? What's a small thing you can start with? The thing you've always wanted to do but are too scared to try. Say it out loud. Write it down. Make it real. Because with enough small efforts, I guarantee you'll look back and find that you've created something very big. Let's not stay the same, dear listener. Let's be open to change, whatever that looks like. Maybe your folded paper birds won't turn out exactly how you expected, but maybe they'll end up changing your life forever. Thank you. My name is Carrington Schaefer, and thank you for joining me for another installment of Honestly, Dear Listener. Today's program was produced by myself and Seth Schaefer. Check us out online at honestlydearlistener.com, and I highly recommend that you do because I include a bunch of bonus material such as pictures, links, and more in the show notes. You can also keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook. For more information on the Cavalcade and Fruta Colorado, as well as a schedule of events, visit cavalcadefruta.com. And by the way, the last song you heard was Cullen singing at one of their monthly variety shows. Definitely check the calendar for when the next one is coming up. Also, if you're interested, Seth and I blogged about our entire nine-month trip around the country on our travel blog, which is shortandhat.com. I'm sure, and he always wears a hat. And speaking of Seth, his film company, Hoptocopter Films, as always, is our wonderful sponsor. They specialize in creative visual storytelling. If you have video needs, Hoptocopter Films is your one-stop shop to great story and great video production. Check them out at hoptocopter.com. 
Dear listener, I want you to know how grateful I am for stopping by and listening to this humble podcast. We're growing and I can't adequately communicate how blessed I feel that you let me into your life. Thank you. Join me in two weeks when our program continues.